know what time it is? It's time to ball about the South with C. Wood. Ball about the South. Coming at you from a Southern perspective on the NFL, NBA, HBCU, and of course, some of the best talk and analysis on the SEC. Real sports talk. Real Southern flavor. Follow me and the show at C. Wood on Sports on X and IG. And now, it's time to ball about the South. What's good? What's good to see Wood? I want to welcome you in to the latest episode of Ball About South with C. Wood. And I uh, definitely want to thank you for coming in and taking a little bit of time out of your busy schedule to join me. Uh, this is the 50th episode, man. Uh, <laughs> this little podcast of mine is moving on up. And uh, I greatly appreciate everyone that's taking a listen to me that uh, is taking time to share the podcast and uh, make comments about the podcast, whether it be on social media or whatever. I really appreciate appreciate each and every one of you, man. And uh, definitely looking for another, forward to another 50 episodes as we move this podcast forward as much as I possibly can. So, uh, yeah, I definitely, definitely appreciate it. But yeah, we're going to get right into the sports. We're going to get right into it, and you know what, what time it is right now. It is football time. Uh, we have week zero in college football. We're right at two weeks away from kicking off the NFL for real as the Detroit Lions and the Kansas City Chiefs do battle on that Thursday night here in a couple of weeks. I'm coming to you on a Thursday evening right now. Uh, and so, yeah, this Let's take a little time to ball about the South. And we're going to get into, again, a lot of football in this episode, obviously. A lot of college football as we get ready for week zero. The Vanderbilt Commodores are in action this week. Uh, It's game week for them. They host Hawaii in Nashville on Saturday evening. That is an SEC Network game. Everyone else, they're going to wait until next week. And next week should be... It's always exciting. It doesn't matter. Um, week one of the college football season is always exciting, but it's always more exciting when you really have some really good matchups, and we do absolutely have that next week, starting next Thursday, when the Florida Gators take on the Utah Utes out there in Utah. That should be an interesting game, and we'll go all the way through that weekend. Obviously, the marquee game of week one next week will be in Orlando, Florida, as the Florida State Seminoles host or kind of take on. That's not really Florida State's home stadium, obviously. But this game will be the return game of last year's game, which was at the the Superdome, which was on Sunday before Labor Day, just like this one is, as the Florida State Seminoles take on the LSU Tigers, two top ten teams at least. Some uh, Actually, LSU is top five. Florida State is definitely top 10 in any poll that you want to look at. So, yeah, man, it's starting to get real. And that is one of the most anticipated matchups of the season. We get that in week one. But, uh, yeah, we're gonna, so we're going to talk a lot of college football here coming up a little bit later in the show. We're going to go about the SEC. We'll talk uh, a little bit about Vanderbilt here as they get ready for their week zero game. But we're going to go through my uh, P5 
power rankings. <laughs> My first power rankings of the season, I'm going to rank all the 14 SEC teams. We'll do that. We'll talk some other SEC news and notes and all of that. We'll talk some HBCU, obviously. If we get ready, the HBCU will be in prime time on Saturday evening, the MEAC SWAT game that's usually on Sunday. <laughs> and that game is usually like uh, 12 o'clock or something on Labor Day weekend. They pushed it up to week zero, and it is a prime time game which is absolutely fantastic for the HBCUs. A really good opportunity to uh, showcase HBCU football. MEAC versus the SWAG. You got South Carolina State doing battle with the post-prime Jackson State Tigers. Should be a really interesting game. It's their first matchup since that 2021 Celebration Bowl where South Carolina State kind of put the surprise on Deion Sanders, Coach Prime, and the Jackson State Tigers in that game. So, a little bit of revenge on the line for Jackson State. We'll get into that game here a little bit later in the show as well. But first, man, we're going to talk a little NFL first before we go to my first break. We're going to get into a little bit of this preseason action that we've been enjoying over the last couple of weeks, and there's been a lot of uh, noteworthy things going on. But I have to start with the Tennessee Titans. Um, you know, we're going to stick this thing out in the AFC and NFC South. We'll kind of do a synopsis of what we've seen so far in these first couple of weeks of um, preseason. Obviously, only one week left. Uh, we, have get, we have games going on tonight and throughout the weekend, of course. The Tennessee Titans go 1-1 one and one in their first two NFL preseason games. They lose to the Chicago Bears a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and then, of course, they take on the Minnesota Vikings last weekend, and they uh, they win that game 24-16. And now this was a, the culmination of a few days of practice, a joint practice between Minnesota and the Tennessee Titans. And uh, the Titans did their thing in the second half, running the football. Uh, really good night running the ball for the Titans as uh, Malik Willis, went the distance uh, there were reports of Will Levis having a little bit of an injury I'm not sure if that had anything to you know if that played into Mike Vrabel's thinking of playing Malik Willis the entire game I thought it was a good you know a, a good idea to do that um, I'm not sure as far as I can tell I think you probably assume that means that that um, Malik Willis is is now your number two quarterback for sure. I mean, I'm not sure it's safe to make that assumption, but that's pretty much the way I took it, that uh, maybe Malik Willis is actually the second-string quarterback on this football team right now, and it is uh, pretty clear-cut. But I tell you what, uh, going back and looking at that game, in conjunction with the first game there against against the Chicago Bears, I think Malik Willis has definitely looked very much improved, in my opinion. Um, had a rough start to the game, obviously, in the first half. The Titans' only touchdown was a Ty J. Spears, a long run by Ty J. Spears. That was the only score. They ended up scoring 17 there in the second half. 
again, really running the football very well, uh, gaining over 280, 290 yards on the ground, which is obviously a good thing. I mean, look, you, you have to take it for what it is. When you're talking about um, second and third stringers playing against each other or whatever, but still, I thought it was pretty impressive what they were able to do in the second half. But in my opinion, Malik Willis has shown improvement. Uh, he did throw an interception in this Minnesota game, had a kind of a slow start to the game, but uh, there are a couple of reasons for the slow start, but a couple of drops. Uh, and by Chig Conquo early in that game, Chig dropped two first down, two passes that definitely would have been first downs. Not sure if that's a, something to be really concerned about. Um, Chig, I think, is going to be looked upon to really provide some big time plays for this football team at the tight end position coming up this season. Uh, I think that he's going to have more opportunities. I think this, the field is going to open up for him more with the addition of DeAndre Hopkins and the hopes that this running game will get back to the level that it was, you know, maybe a couple seasons ago. So Chica Conquo is going to have to be able to, to uh, catch the football a lot better than he did Saturday night. I mean, both of those passes were on the money from Malik Willis, and he was unable to haul them in. So we have to, you know, keep an eye on that. And then there was one pass to uh, Nick Westbrook-Akina that would have been another first down, and that one was on Malik, though. I mean, he, you know, Westbrook-Akina was wide open, would have been easy first down, maybe about a 20-yard catch, and Instead of putting the ball up around his chest, the receiver's chest, he put it down around his ankles. And obviously, he could not come up with that catch. So, it was a mixed bag. If you want to, if I want to, I have to be honest about that. But, I'm liking what I'm seeing. I, I like his awareness in the pocket. He's not, in my opinion, um trying to escape the pocket quickly he's he's not getting happy feet once you know once uh play starts out and no one's open or uh there there's a, a rusher comes free he is he's staying in there and firing the ball within the pocket he's 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 letting the play work itself out and he's not you know he's he's he looks more patient than he did in my opinion, last season. And I think, you know, a young quarterback, to me, I think that's what you have to have. You have to have a guy that is going to, you know, work himself out. We know what he can do once he gets outside the pocket. And he showed that a couple times in the game Saturday night when he threw a couple balls downfield. One, you know, there were a couple of them that he did not hit. But you saw that the the... the you know he he can he can make those plays once he gets outside the pocket. The the biggest thing about Malik Willis is him inside the pocket, and I think he's looked better in my opinion. I look, I'm not <laughs> I'm not a quarterback whisperer or anything like that, but uh, I think there's some uh, definite improvement in Malik Willis's game. I'm definitely excited to see that. Uh, talking about that run game, Ty J Spears had a really nice game. Chestnut off, you know, he's kind of backed up 
Spears in that game. He had a really good game. He had a touchdown run. Really liking what I'm seeing out of that run game. And obviously, Derrick Henry will add a lot to that once he gets on the field. So, I think a lot to be excited about. Uh, defense looked pretty good. Obviously, again, we're talking about against second-string quarterback and all of that uh, from the Minnesota Vikings. But, uh, again, not bad. Uh, obviously, a lot to clean up as we go forward, as we get ready for that week one game in the Superdome against the New Orleans Saints. So, yeah. But anyway, man, uh, yeah, we're going to get into a lot more of the NFL. We're going to talk some more NFC South, AFC South. We'll talk about that quarterback battle in Tampa Bay. What's up with that? Kyle Trask, is he really going to be the starter for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? We'll talk about that. Some other things going on in both the AFC South and the NFC South. We'll do that when Ball About the South continues. All right, yeah, man, we're back in with Ball About the South, getting to this, uh, continue on with my NFL talk. Kind of left off talking about the Tennessee Titans there in the AFC South, and specifically talking about Malik Willis. And uh, like I said, I think there's been some improvement in his game from what I've seen, and uh, I'm definitely still excited about him being on the roster, uh, him being the uh, backup quarterback, I think is a good thing, and I'm looking forward to seeing where we can go with him. I understand about the Will Levis thing and all of that, but I was always uh, excited about Malik Willis having a shot to uh, play out his career in Tennessee. We'll see how this thing goes. Um, one thing I did not mention was uh, the the uh, injury to Traylon Burks, and obviously that was a big deal. It's not going to be as bad as thought at, at first thought. Thank goodness for that. He's only going to be out for a few weeks, so maybe two or three weeks into the season, we should have him back on the field. And I've been hearing some good things about Traylon Burks coming back. And we've all, you know, always already had that conversation about him possibly being a little bit more comfortable in that offense, especially when you sit there and you look on the other side of that formation and you see a guy like DeAndre Hopkins. Who can definitely help out so I, I like the fact I like where we are I like where the Titans are right now man I, again we've got to see it on the field but uh, just the prospects of it I like the, the possibilities that we have going forward into this season I really do and obviously defensively um, I think we're going to be good there obviously we have one of the best run defenses in the league last year Maybe the best run defense in the league. One, you know, and um, I think we're going to add a little bit more pass rush to that, and kind of, um, you know, get the secondary straight. I and mean, speaking of the secondary, I, I, I would be remiss if I did not mention Caleb Farley, his dad, and uh, it was another person that was in the house where his house exploded there in North Carolina. This is really a sad situation, and his dad was. Uh, unfortunately lost his life in that um, explosion. So my heart goes out to Caleb Farley, who obviously has been talked about a lot since he was drafted by the Titans here. Uh, really, anything going on in the football field is not important right now with something like that going on. So my heart goes out to him, my thoughts 
prayers were with him and his family and um, I'm just hoping that uh, he gets the comfort that he needs at this really difficult time um, anyway so yeah man you know we look at the AFC South really we talk about the Titans we talk about the Jaguars obviously you know, I think all of us would agree that both of those teams look like the teams that are going to battle it out for the division this season. I don't think anyone would dispute that. The biggest news right now, however, is in Indianapolis. And that is with Jonathan Taylor, the, the really good running back with the Indianapolis Colts. The Colts have given him the permission to go ahead and pursue trades. Um, obviously, he has not signed a contract with them. He's uh, holding out. Well, he's been injured anyway. So I don't know if he would have actually held out or whatever, but he has definitely requested a trade here um, a few weeks ago, and now the Colts are saying, look, uh, go ahead and try it. Go ahead and pursue it. We, we want to see what we can get for you now. Which is really incredible to think about. Just um, <laughs> you can see Jonathan Taylor in that in that blue and white uniform, and it's gonna look funny. It's possibly seeing him wearing something else. Uh, it's a, it's a situation right there where I, I'm sure Indianapolis really does not want to part ways with him right now because you sit there and you you're bringing in a young quarterback and Anthony Richardson, a guy that has no experience. You sit there, you have I think some pretty good weapons on the outside the wide receiver position uh, maybe not great uh, and there have been some struggles here in the preseason from some of those guys, namely guys like Alec Pierce who um, had some issues the other night and they're um, uh, well, maybe not last, actually last tonight, they played tonight last week's game where they had uh, a couple issues with Alec Pierce or whatever there's some good names. I think some good talent on that team. But, again, we're talking about a young Anthony Richardson. So, it would be really good to have a good running back to go along with him. And, obviously, you sit there and think about the <laughs> how Anthony Richardson can, Richardson can use his legs. You start thinking about the RPO game, uh, which could be devastating with a guy like Jonathan Taylor. Jonathan Taylor was also very good catching the ball out of the backfield. We all know this. I mean, Jonathan Taylor was one of the best running backs in the NFL, and there were some people that thought he was the best running back in the NFL. So it could really be a huge blow for the Colts this season. I don't know if you – know, I don't think we're really expecting a lot out of the Colts, really. I think most people would think that they would probably be – the third place team maybe now I think a lot of people are thinking they probably would finish last behind the Texans I'm seeing a lot more people kind of having that sentiment right now obviously what happens with this situation with Jonathan Taylor is going to tell the story I don't think there's any question about that so it's going to be we're going to have to keep our eye on that a few teams I'm hearing that a couple teams have uh, put their name in the hat and made, maybe have made a couple offers. Not sure who those teams are. But obviously, when you sit there and you think about some of the teams that could be interested, uh, first team that comes to my mind would be the Miami Dolphins. Uh, you sit there and you look at the Dalvin Cook situation. It seemed like the Dolphins were kind of in on him at one time. 
he ends up going to the Jets. <laughs> Same team in their division, actually. Um, and, you know, actually the, the Dolphins saw two teams in their division make big signings of running backs. And we saw uh, Dalvin Cook go to the Jets. And we also saw Zeke, Ezekiel Elliott, move on to, New, to the New England Patriots. So the Dolphins could really use someone at that running back position. That is the team that really jumps out for me. Uh, you know, and that's going to be an ultra-competitive AFC East. There's no question about that. The Jets are trying to really set themselves up really well and think about them adding the former Florida State running back Dalvin Cook to a guy like Brees Hall, who uh, who was really, really running well last season until he got injured. It was looking like Brees Hall was going to be a guy that was going to be possibly week five, week six, week seven before he would be able to come back and be healthy to run the ball again this season. Now it's looking like it's going to be much earlier than that. Maybe week one, possibly week two is what I'm hearing. So they can have that uh, duo and <laughs> I guess actually be a little bit better off than they thought they were going to be with a guy with guys like Brees Hall and Dalvin Cook in the backfield. That's going to be interesting to see. Uh, of course, you got the Zeke Elliott thing. So Miami would be a really good spot for Jonathan Taylor. I don't think there's any question about that. They definitely have the need and now probably need him a little bit more that two teams in their division have made moves at the same position. Um, a couple other teams, I've seen a couple people mention the Kansas City Chiefs. <laughs> I mean, it seems like when something like this comes up, the Chiefs' name always comes up for whatever reason. I mean, I, look, I understand that they, are pro they probably do have a need there at running back. I'm not going to say that they don't, but, man, <laughs> uh, they can't have everybody. And I, I realize they lost a couple guys off of that team from last season. I realize they lost Miko Hartman. I realize that they lost um, Juju Smith-Schuster. I get all of that, but come on, man. <laughs> that would be crazy if they were to, if they were to add Jonathan Taylor. Uh, that would be really crazy to, to team him up with Patrick Mahomes and everything. Uh, I've seen some people mention the Eagles, who do have a need. I could say um, there's there are several teams that obviously could use the services of Jonathan Taylor. We'll see where he ends up, but I think the spot that I would definitely like to see him would be the Miami Dolphins to help out Tua Tonga-Vailoa in that offense there in Florida. Um, so we'll see what happens. Uh, the Texans, you know, we haven't seen a lot from Will Anderson, but what I think what we've seen has been really good. I will say uh, their first-round pick out of Alabama, um, Edge Rusher, I think he's going to do his thing. I really do. I think he's going to be a hit from year one, and I think he's going to have a really outstanding career. I think you look at C.J. Stroud, we have seen some ups and downs, just like you would expect. Um, you know, not a lot from him yet, but C.J. Stroud's going to be okay, in my opinion. I, I, I really think that he's going to be fine. The, the Texans have to grow around him as well. He's got to grow. The Texans have to grow around him. They've got to get him more weapons. They've got to uh, set that offensive line. They've got to get it stronger and things of that nature. So, But the Texans are still a team, <laughs> just like they've been the last couple of years, that can pull an upset at any time. And I think that D'Amico Ryans is, you know, is a guy that's going to continue to instill that 
uh, that kind of uh, underdog kind of thing, you know, demeanor about them that I think it, that made them, I thought one of the harder working teams, or at least they they played hard on Sundays when they had to do it. And and look, they won a couple games and no one thought that they would be able to win. They hung in a lot of games no one thought they would be able to hang into. And I think you're going to see more of the same from this team as well. Uh, switching over to the NFC South. I mean, like I say, I mentioned <laughs> quarterback situation. And, and obviously with Tom Brady leaving the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, no other quarterback situation is going to get more pub than what's going on in Tampa Bay. And it was looking like Kyle Trask actually had a chance to possibly win this job. And I was like, man, come, there's no way. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's no way that Kyle Trask, and this is no this is no disrespect to Kyle Trask, the former Florida Gator quarterback. There's no disrespect at all. Okay, I'm, I don't, I'm not trying to make this about Kyle Trask. I was, I'm saying this purely about Baker Mayfield. I'm like, if Baker Mayfield cannot beat out Kyle Trask, that is a huge problem. Okay, but. Apparently, uh, the Buccaneers have decided that that uh, Baker Mayfield is definitely the guy for the job. Maybe this whole thing was just something to kind of give Baker a challenge, maybe. I don't know, but I want you to listen to Buck's offensive coordinator, Dave Canales. He's talking about uh, that battle between Trask and Baker Mayfield. So you hear it uh, from the Bucks OC Canales there. He he basically spelled it out that this thing really was not settled until this last preseason game against the New York Jets. Which, again, I'm just saying it's a little bit surprising to me. I'm not. Uh, I, I just really thought Baker Mayfield would. You know, he's had his issues. We all know that. But I figured he would be the guy, and it wouldn't be really a battle at all. And uh, this thing went down to the last preseason game that they played here. So, and, they, and you hear it in his voice. You hear the offensive coordinator. He's like, look, man, uh, we, we feel good about the quarterback room. Obviously, you know he's going to say that. It doesn't matter. He, uh, they appear to have confidence in Trask. And don't get me wrong, I think there's been some times he's looked good here in the preseason. So, 
Uh, we'll see what happens with that. Now, there were a few rumors floating around with this situation out there in San Francisco with uh, Kyle Shanahan naming Sam Darnold the backup quarterback and really just surprising everyone. <laughs> just, I mean, uh, I, I can't tell you how crazy that situation is out there after you draft Trey Lance with the third overall pick just a couple of years ago. You traded up to get him. And now he's not even making your second string. And I understand Sam Darnold was a highly uh, picked quarterback as well. I understand he was a first rounder or whatever as well. But uh, this whole thing in San Francisco has been crazy. So there were a few rumors out there. Obviously, that if Trey Lance were to be traded from the San Francisco 49ers, where would he end up? And the Tampa Bay Buccaneers name came up as much as anyone else's. Well, all of that has been settled. Trey Lance has been traded. <laughs> and he is headed to the Dallas Cowboys, which is another crazy situation that probably don't need to get too deep into, man, because I'm just, <laughs> to be honest with you, I, um, I, this one came out of left field completely. You sit there and think about what Dak Prescott is thinking about right now with this situation. Obviously, Dak Prescott is a much better quarterback right now than Trey Lance. So I don't think it's necessarily a thing where Dak Prescott just needs to look over his shoulder right now. But you would understand if he sat there and, and kind of did that. I mean, I just I don't really get this move by the Cowboys. I mean, I, you know, Trey Lance, I mean, this guy, is, I think, still has a possible future in the NFL. I mean, you would think, you, you, you don't want to sit there and give up on this dude. You would definitely like him to get a fair shot somewhere. But in Dallas? <laughs> and if Dallas, to me, if Dallas wanted to go with the, you know, try to, if they have questions about Dak, which is understandable. We, you know, again, Dak is, uh, has some issues throwing interceptions, things of that nature, whatever. Okay, we understand all that. But other than that, I think Dak has been a solid quarterback. I think he's a top 10 to 15 quarterback, at least in this league. So you sit there and you look at it from that standpoint, I don't know if I'm bringing in another dude like that at this point in the, in the, um, in the game. I mean, we're just a couple weeks away from the season starting, and you're bringing in this guy makes no sense to me, especially when you sit there and you look at the class of quarterbacks that's coming out. If you're talking about maybe replacing Dak here in the near future for next season, something like that, man, there's going to be several quarterbacks coming out in college next year. This is going to be a strong quarterback draft, in my opinion, next season. So, I, I, you know, I think teams should show a little bit of patience with what they have because of what's coming out next year. You're going to have your pick of some really good QBs, even if you don't get Caleb uh, from from SC. There's going to be plenty of other guys out there, man, that, that, are, that are going to be, I think, very NFL-worthy. So, yeah, yeah. So, again, I, I wanted to throw that announcement in there that that trade has been, that's just been announced. And is it obviously has <laughs> taken the NFL by storm. Uh, yeah, so, but anyway, this quarterback situation in, in Tampa Bay, it, it, you know, we'll see how this thing goes. I mean, the Buccaneers, I don't expect much from them. I know that they, you know, Baker Mayfield, 
has shown flashes here and there. And if, if he can be more consistent, then he has the weapons to throw the ball to. Uh, we know that. Uh, defensively, there's some, uh, you know, they not too, not bad, or you know, not bad defensively last season. We'll see what they can do this season. I think a middle of the pack defense is not out of the question. Again, this is a very soft NFC South overall. And you sit there, and you, you know, for me uh, right now, I'd have to say it's the New Orleans Saints and everyone else. Um, so who could be the team that challenges them? Could it be a Tampa Bay with Baker Mayfield being your QB? Possibly. Uh, Carolina, I think it could be Carolina. Who knows? But they've got to find a way to protect Bryce a little bit more. And then, of course, you have the Falcons. I just don't, I just can't get a feel for what's going on in Atlanta. I, I really wanted to see Desmond Ritter a little bit more, and we did not get to see him more. Defensively, we know about them. They've up and down. Uh, pass rush has been an issue for several years. Uh, Secondary is not bad, but you know, it just—I don't know—I I just can't get a feel for the Falcons right now. So I, I think this is a race right now that the New Orleans Saints should win. I do feel more comfortable in, in everything that I know about them. They have the—I think—the most continuity coming back defensively and offensively. You just wonder about Dennis Allen coaching this football team. You wonder about. <laughs> Uh, new quarterback Derek Carr coming in how, how is that going to play out we'll talk more about that I'll, I'll give you my exact you know uh, predictions and picks and things of that nature here in the next week or two on each of these divisions but um, I just wanted to talk about that QB battle there at Tampa Bay I just I just really think that was a crazy thing <laughs> I was kind of surprised that Baker Mayfield did not you know win that race more comfortably than he did. Yeah, so anyway, man, uh, man that's, that's a quick look at the NFL for today's show. Um, obviously, we're going to get back into it as we go forward. Again, look for look out for my picks. For uh, Look out for my um, predictions and everything on each of the divisions, really all the divisions. I'm going to you know, at least predict all the divisions, even though I primarily deal with the AFC and NFC South. I'm going to give my predictions on all of them here in, in the next week or two. And here by here on Ball About the South. Anyway, uh, we're going to come back. And we're going to talk some college football. And Ball About the South continues. All right, so we're back in. And Ball About the South continues. And we're going to get into week zero college football action right now. For me... And look, I know Vanderbilt's playing. I'll talk briefly about that game in my about the SEC segment here in a few minutes. But we're going to get into, in my opinion, the, the game of the day. That is the HBCU game, the MEAC SWAC Challenge going down in Atlanta. Now, I do apologize. I had it wrong earlier when I uh, in my introduction um, of the show today or whatever. I was saying that the game was played in Florida. I had that one mixed up with, I think it's called the Orange Blossom Bowl. The Orange Blossom Classic or whatever, the one that Jackson State and FAMU have played the last couple seasons. I had it mixed up with that one. Okay, so I, that that was my fault, and I apologize for that. 
Uh, it is the Miak Swag Challenge. Now, I, I knew that. I just kind of had them mixed up. And, and, and I, obviously, I'm sitting there thinking about FAMU, and obviously, they're in the swag now, but FAMU was in the Miak up until just a couple seasons ago. So, anyway, we got it straight now. Uh, we got the Miak Swag Challenge, though. To me, that is the best, well, the biggest game of the day, in my opinion. Obviously, we got uh, San Jose State and USC, I think. It's probably the game that most people want to look at. Is, is uh, we'll get a, our first look at the Trojans out of the Pac-12. We're gonna talk a lot. We're gonna talk a little bit about the Pac-12 here in just a couple minutes as well. Well, I'm sorry, the, the Pac-4. We'll talk about that here in just a couple minutes. But um, I this for me is the game of the day. I, I think it's a great opportunity for the HBCUs to get some uh, exposure. Um, and they don't get enough of it, and thank goodness this is a chance for them to get that. As South Carolina State out of the MEAC faces Jackson State out of the SWAC. Uh, looking at this football game, obviously this is the first game post-prime, the post-prime era. Uh, T.C. Taylor takes over the reins there at Jackson State. He, is, uh, he has experience there at Jackson State. Uh, I think it's going to be a pretty smooth transition for them. Problem is, you had so much, um, <laughs> you had so many players go out. They did have a lot of players come back in, and they got a lot of guys out of the FBS, which is obviously a good thing. But until they get out there and re we really see this thing, you really don't necessarily know. Uh, I think defensively, this is a team. They have a couple guys that they brought in out of the portal that I think are really going to help them. Jackson State's defense was phenomenal last season. We all know that. Offensively, obviously losing guys like Shadur Sanders. They lost Travis Hunter, of course, who um, could play both sides of the ball. But Travis Hunter, I think, will uh, be more of a wide receiver there at Colorado. They lost, lost all those guys. I mean, I, there's too many to name right now. But, again, they did a really good job of going out and, and finding talent in the portal and bringing them in. We just have to see how they get all that to, together. And that's going to be the question. And we'll see how it goes. Uh, quarterback battle has not been settled yet. As a matter of fact, Coach Taylor is saying it's a game-time decision. Now, I think everyone is pointing toward Jackson Brown to be that guy. He is a transfer out of Virginia Tech. He doesn't have a lot of experience, though. That's the thing. He, he didn't play much at all at Virginia Tech. Every, and there yet, they have three or two or three other guys that have FBS experience. They came from FBS uh, colleges. So you would think that the talent is there. We just really we don't know about exactly what they're going to bring to the table, man. We just don't really know until we see it on the field. So it's it's really kind of hard to predict what we're going to see from Jackson State. I don't think it's going to be this, you know, I think a lot of people think it could be this free fall that, you know, Jackson State is, is just going to fall off the cliff. I don't see that happening. Um, then there are a lot of people that think, they're going to be just as good as they, they've been. I don't know if I see that happen. I think it's going to be somewhere in the middle. So, 
we'll see how it goes. But I think Jackson Brown is going to be the quarterback. But uh, like I said, Taylor has stated several times that this is going to be almost like a game time decision. So we, we may not know for real until Jackson State gets the ball for the first time. South Carolina State side of things, really this game is kind of a backdrop now to the announcement of Buddy Pugh, Coach Oliver Buddy Pugh, announcing his retirement at the end of this season. The legend, uh, what a career he has had. Eight, he's either won outright or uh, shared eight MEAC titles in his 20, I think it's 23 years uh, there at South Carolina State. He's compiled a 146 and 87 record overall, but in the conference, in the MEAC, he's 112 and 42, which is fantastic. He's done it, uh, you know, you sit down, you look at that, That's he's averaging one or two losses, basically. Uh, in his career there at, at in, inside the conference. So he's th- that team is always competitive, if, if nothing else. The last season was the anomaly in all of that, though. As South Carolina State went 3-8 and eight last year after winning the Celebration Bowl um, the year before that. As a matter of fact, they beat Jackson State, Coach Prime, and all of those 31-10 in that Celebration Bowl in 2021. Really kind of... You know, that was, that, that was, you don't see many seasons like that at South Carolina State. It was really shocking to see the uh, Bulldogs go through that last season. So that's the question about them. Where are they compared to last season? I, I like the fact that I think they're going to have a lot more guys that are going to be more in tune with, 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 with the system there that have been there for a couple years or whatever much more so than Jackson State, which, I, you know, for me, I think that was kind of the difference in that Celebration Bowl game a couple of years ago. I just think South Carolina State had more continuity. You know, Jackson State has had these players, going, this influx of players going in and out or whatever with Prime being the coach. I mean, again, that's just how it is when you have a, a, a program that's <laughs> that's one of the top marquee programs that, like, Jackson State had become. So it's just, you know, that's the kind of way it goes. But when you have a team like South Carolina State that's kind of, again, he's getting his recruits too, don't get me wrong. But I think you have more continuity. I think you have more guys with more experience that just feel a little bit more comfortable within their system than Jackson State did. So it's going to be interesting to see where that is now. Without Prime, with South Carolina State coming off of a three-win season, where's that? What, what does that mean for this football game? <laughs> to be honest with you, I really don't know. <laughs> i tell you what I do expect, though. I expect a low-scoring game. I think both defenses are going to be really good this season. I think, obviously, you're going to expect some... Uh, uh, it's going to be a little bit of a of time for Jackson State to really all the new players to get accustomed to each other so it's going to be a it's going to be a waiting game to see for them to get to their peak this season I think later on in the season this Jackson State team is going to be really good but early it could be a little bit of a, a little bit of a struggle 
all that said, though, I, I do think Jackson State pulls this game out. I think it's going to be a tight game. I like Jackson State winning this game 16-13. I think it's going to be a really low-scoring game, but I think it's going to really be really exciting. Again, I think South Carolina State, they're going to have a, you know, obviously a, a, a lot more adrenaline because of the announcement of Buddy Pugh announcing his retirement. That that could turn this game as well. We'll see how it goes. For some reason, though, I kind of lean toward Jackson State to win this HBCU game, the MEAC SWAT Challenge coming up this weekend uh, on Saturday evening. And, and tell you what, it's a, it's a big game for Jackson State because next week they they get right back into it, man. And that's that Orange Blossom game against FAMU, which is a not only a SWAT game, but it's an Eastern Division SWAT game. And for me, FAMU, I think it's the best team in the SWAT, at least from what I've seen so far. I'm not going to say that's a done deal, but just for me, what, I, what I'm seeing, what we've seen the last couple of seasons from Willie Simmons' team down there, I think FAMU is probably going to be the best team in the conference, but we'll see how it goes. But yeah, that game takes place next weekend there on Labor Day weekend. That's kind of the game I was thinking about earlier. So yeah, looking forward to that. I'm just glad to see the HBCU is getting a little bit of exposure. I told you I was going to talk about this Pac-12 thing, this Pac-4 thing, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> Man. Uh, yeah, we're going to Take another quick break. And <laughs> we're going to get into that when Ball about the South continues. Okay, man. Uh, let's get into this Pac 12 thing. Pac 4, Pac 2. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, yeah, if you haven't been seeing the news here in the last couple of days surrounding college football realignment, the latest that we've seen is that the ACC is looking to uh, take on Stanford and Cal. Now, this is the first time I've joined you since all of the chaos went down a couple weeks ago with uh, Big 12 getting Arizona, Arizona State, and Utah. And, of course, that was in addition to Colorado. So those four teams are going to the Big 12. And, of course, then there was the subsequent announcement that <laughs> uh, Oregon and Washington Washington would indeed move on to the Big Ten after next season. Okay, after this season, basically. Really. Anyway, so obviously that leaves the Pac-12 with the Pac-4. Stanford, Cal, Washington State, and Oregon State. And let me just say this, man. First of all, I, I feel bad. I feel sorry for all four of those universities to an extent. But then again, there are reports out there that a couple, at least a couple of these universities were against Pac-12 expansion like way back 10 years ago, maybe even going back to this Texas-Oklahoma thing. So again, like I've stated before, the Pac-12 has no one to blame but themselves in this whole ordeal that they're in right now. But I do, as far as especially like staff, the university, the players, 
whatever on each in each of those universities i do feel bad for those this is an administration problem from the pac-12 you know the the, the, win, the men that wear the suits on down to the administrations that run things at these universities and it's nothing else it's absolutely nothing else i'm, I'm tired of hearing people talking about oh well tv money these tv deals is ruining college football no these folks wearing these suits is what's ruining college football i mean yeah you got some schools chasing the money don't get me wrong we're gonna talk about that here in just a second but these these men wearing the suits <laughs> are the ones ruining college football man point blank simple so you have this situation now. You have four teams left. Uh, there are so many di- directions this thing could go. I mean, so many. I mean, to me, Stanford, especially Stanford and, and Cal, to an extent. I mean, I'm not. Look, I'm not going to say it. All four of these universities in the Pac-12 that are left have some value. Don't get me wrong. I think Stanford is far above the other three, though. That's just my opinion. I think as a academically, obviously they stand out, and I think that's one thing that there are a lot of conferences would love to have, you know, on their roster. But this is—we're talking athletics here, okay? We're talking sports. This is a sports show, and I, I just—I don't see really where any any of four of these teams, except the, oh, I'm sorry, any of the other three, really push the needle. Now, Oregon State has done well in football here a couple times. They've had a couple uh, basketball they did have a run a couple years ago in the basketball tournament. Things of that nature. Cal has had some pretty good teams. But what I'm saying is you don't even see the fan bases. I, I, I can't really speak as much for Washington State and Oregon State. When you sit down and you look at a Cal football game and see all the empty seats there at Cal Berkeley. And I'm really interested to see this week two game in a couple of weeks when Auburn travels out there. I want to see what the crowd's going to look like. Because I guarantee you, Auburn, 3,000 miles away, I would bet Auburn would probably take, could take 20,000, 25,000 fans out there. It wouldn't, I wouldn't doubt it. If, if that number of tickets were available, I'm not, I don't know how many uh, fans their stadium holds or whatever. I would say probably, what, 40,000, 50,000, something like that. I don't have any doubt Auburn would take 20,000 people out there. But would would Cal have 20,000 people to meet them at the game? I don't know. <laughs> and that's what I'm saying. This whole thing has been crazy in the Pac-12. I really can have not been able to believe what I've been seeing from that conference. There, there, there's no intensity from the fans. No intensity. There's nothing. So... Now you have this situation where these these four universities are dangling out there. I think again, I think Stanford's in a really good spot. Obviously, Cal is probably going to ride their backs to whatever conference they go in. Now you got this ACC thing that came up the other day. The ACC is saying that they're, you know, very well could invite Stanford and Cal. I mean, <laughs> I mean, tell me where is the advantage for Cal and Stanford in that? I mean, I get, I get the TV contract, and ACC has this crazy TV deal that's going through 2036. They still got 13 years left <laughs> on this con- on this TV contract. 
tell, but other than that, where is the advantage? I don't get it, dude. I I, I don't get it. <laughs> I mean, it's a football thing. All all of this stuff revolves around football. I know all these universities have twenty or thirty other sports that they play, but all of this revolves around football. Why would you want your your team to be in that situation where they're traveling to the East Coast seven times, what, four or five times a year? <laughs> but then everybody's talking about the ACC, and I've had a couple of conversations on X or Twitter, whatever you want to call it, with people talking about the ACC. And they, I'm telling you what, man, these ACC fans. I mean, they think this the ACC is, is is the SEC or the Big Ten. I mean, they're, oh, they're talking about, oh, why wouldn't they want to play in the ACC? I'm like, well, you know, uh, they, they even expanded that conversation to a school like UConn. And UConn sat there and left the, the American just a few years ago because they didn't feel comfortable in that conference. <laughs> uh, the only reason they joined the conference was for football. Okay, that was that was the big thing about the American. Everybody, all those teams played football, and they played it at a little bit higher level than than some of the teams they left behind in in the Conference USA, like UAB and Western Kentucky, and all those teams. They played at a little bit higher level. That's why UConn was in that conference in the first place. UConn football, they decided to leave the the conference entirely because they didn't feel comfortable. They felt I think they feel more comfortable in the Big East. Now, obviously, the Big East doesn't have FBS football, <laughs> right? So it's, it's you know, when I'm, I'm hearing these people telling me why, why UConn would want to join the ACC, and, and, and I get it. <sighs> but is the ACC even going to be around? I mean, are they? I, I, I don't think the ACC is out of the, out of the woods in this whole thing yet either. Florida State, Clemson, North Carolina, and there are a couple other teams that have all, especially especially the first three teams, have all expressed um, their you know they, they they don't really like the revenue sharing in that league. Florida State, I think, has been the loudest of those schools saying, look, man, we, we're we bringing in way more money. We got a lot more people viewing us than, than are viewing Georgia Tech or someone like that, for example. So we feel our cuts should be larger. And so you're going to add a school like UConn <laughs> to take more money away or a school like SMU Again, that's the next team that has been rumored here for the last few weeks to join the ACC. Oh, but wait a minute. SMU, if they join the ACC, they're not going to take in any, in any revenue from the ACC for seven years. <laughs> seven years. Now, you tell me where the advantage is for SMU in that. When they're in a league where they're making $7 million in TV revenue every year, meaning the American Athletic Conference. Man, this whole thing, <laughs> all I can do is sit back and laugh at it. I, I, I don't understand it. I really don't. I mean, the, the, 
well, don't get me wrong. Look, I understand it. I understand in Stanford and Cal's case, they're trying to stay relevant. They're trying to stay not really, wait a minute, let me take that back. Not just relevant, they're just trying to survive. Okay, so I get it, okay? They're, they're trying, they're in survival mode. And the ACC, to a great extent, is in survival mode. But man, I mean, I'm just, I'm just, I'm blown away by some of this, dude. SMU talking about no revenue for seven seasons. You don't know what the ACC is going to look like in seven years. Because, <laughs> I mean, if I were a betting man right now, I'm telling you, I FSU, uh, North Carolina, I think in North Carolina State and or Duke are going to ride North Carolina's coattails wherever they go, whether that's the SEC or the Big Ten. Clemson, I think, I don't think you can sleep on Virginia. I think those six schools, and maybe, you know, who knows, could all leave the ACC in, in the next seven years. And then what, what do you have left after that in the ACC? I really believe at least those FSU and uh, maybe they're going to at least lose a couple of those schools. I would bet that right now. <laughs> I would. I, I, I would. I, I just don't think that the ACC is on is on a steadier ground as a lot of the ACC fans think that they are. And obviously they still have Notre Dame in their cap to a certain degree at least in other sports but I just don't think that's going to matter much. I, I I fully expect Notre Dame to be in the Big Ten here. I can't tell you when it's going to happen, but I, I would be shocked if that didn't happen here in the next, I don't know, five years or something like that. So if you're SMU, man, I, I would really sit there and look at this thing hard, dude. If I'm Stanford and Cal, I would look at this thing hard as well. I would. I mean, the Mountain West, if you can get the Mountain West teams to go into the pack, merge with the pack four, I don't think it's a bad league. I mean, especially if you sit there and compare to the ACC, if Florida State and Clemson, those teams, or Miami and those those guys leave the ACC, you're you going to tell me the league with Cal and Stanford and uh, San Diego State, uh Colorado State, getting to some of the teams from the Mountain West, is going to be so much worse than maybe you can sit there if you want to grab SMU out of the AAC, or if you if you want to merge in with the AAC, you going to tell me that's that much worse of a league than a league like the ACC without Florida State, Clemson, and those teams or whatever. I don't know, man. It's crazy, crazy situation. But um, here's one thing I also thought about too with the Pac-12. I mean, you know, I think that you know if they wanted to sit there and do that Mountain West thing. Then in basketball, why not invite Gonzaga and, and St. Mary's out of the West Coast Conference? You have your little Pac-14 or so in the Pac. You know, that would be a strong basketball conference. I mean, this is about football. We understand that, but 
basketball-wise, that would be a strong conference. You sit there and think about San Diego State. Stanford can put out some good basketball teams. Gonzaga, St. Mary's, UNLV has, has a history of putting out decent basketball teams. Uh, I would, the Pac-12, the Pac, whatever, needs to do something. And that, that's one thing I would do if I were them. So anyway, and then of course there's Memphis in this whole thing. Memphis fans, look, man, I, I don't think you want to go to this pack, whatever, unless it's going to be something like that. But then I think you're okay in the AAC right now. Because guess what? The ACC is, is going to lose a couple teams. I, I'm willing to bet. And I think they could come calling on a, a school like Memphis here in a few years. This thing isn't over. Don't don't sit there and jump at the first thing. If the Pac-12 or Pac-whatever sits there and invites you to their league, I just, man, I, <laughs> I wouldn't go for that. I wouldn't. When I'm in a league where I know I'm making $7 million a year, because how much, how much revenue is that league? If this league, I was just sitting there thinking about with the Pac-whatever, merging with the Mountain West, how much money, how much revenue are they going to really gain? You're gonna, they're gonna be, they're gonna gain more than this AAC. I don't know. I really don't. I just don't think this is as bad a deal right now for Memphis as, as some of their fans were saying that it is. But I think obviously uh, the ACC to me would be a much better fit down the road for a school like Memphis than anything this the pack whatever could come up with. I'll just put it like that. Anyway, man, let's get into my final segment here. Y'all know what time it is. We're going to go about the SEC. Yes, sir, you know what that sound means, and we're going to get into... A little bit of SEC talk to close out this particular episode. Uh, the, you know, again, Vanderbilt goes into action this weekend against Hawaii there in Nashville. Uh, obviously, I expect Vanderbilt to win that game. Uh, AJ Swan, this should be their starting quarterback. He's a sophomore coming back in his second season. Uh, led them to five wins last season, five and seven record, which was a little bit surprising. I kind of think, I think if I remember correctly, I had them pegged for three wins last year. So Clark Lee did a really good job. I'm going to talk about them more as I kind of um, do my, uh, more of my preview on the SEC next week. But, uh, you know, I, I don't know if they can get the five wins again. We'll talk about that a little bit more. But because a couple of those wins last year, they had, uh, they beat Kentucky. Last season, which you know, in in Lexington, by the way, that was one of those games that a lot of Kentucky fans were really ticked off at, of course. And then, of course, they also beat uh, uh, Florida back to back weekends. They won those games there toward the end of the season. So, I don't know if they're going to get those two wins again this season, but it's possible the team may be actually better than they were last season. 
they have 15 guys coming back from the um, 2022 team. Seven offense, eight defense. So, going to be interesting to see. But I do expect them to win this game coming up this weekend. Again, that game goes down on SEC Network Saturday evening. Um, not much news, <laughs> to be honest with you, on the quarterback front there at Alabama. We have had a couple of announcements around the SEC about quarterback battles. One of those battles was in Auburn. And Hugh Freeze has picked Peyton Thorne to be the starting quarterback over um, Robbie Ashford. So at least start the season. We'll see how it goes. I still think, and I think this this race was pretty close from, from what we've heard. Uh, Thorne Obviously, a little bit more experience. I still think you could see Robbie Ashford in some, you know, in some situations with his ability to run. Obviously, Thorne is not that type of runner, and I still would not be surprised to see uh, Robbie Ashford win that job back later in the season. We'll see how it goes, but for right now, Hugh Freeze is settled on Peyton Thorne to transfer out of Michigan State, Georgia. They have settled on Carson Beck. No surprise there. So, uh, those two battles have been settled. Um, the battle in Tuscaloosa is not. At least, it hasn't been announced. If you, if you ask me, I think it's settled. Nick Saban's not going to tell anybody. <laughs> He'll have his depth chart out Monday. I guess every coach does that. I'm not really sure. I'm just, you know, I'm familiar with how Nick Saban does it. He'll have his depth chart out Monday, and, and you know, he deals with either ors. I mean, whether it be at quarterback, at running back, at linebacker, secondary, whatever. If he has two guys, or whatever, at one position, he'll he'll go either, that either or thing. Um, I don't think you're going to see that at quarterback. I think that it's going to be Jalen Milrow. Uh, again, it, it it makes the most sense. It's made the most sense, in my opinion, since last season, or since Bryce Young <laughs> uh, threw his last pass there in the Sugar Bowl against Kansas State. I just, I, 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 I just don't understand why some people don't like Jalen Milrow. And speaking of Jalen Milrow, it was announced that he has come up with a uh, NIL deal with beats by Dre. Well, how about that? So even if <laughs> even if he's not the starter coming up this season, uh <laughs> he has a way of making some cash flow, which is a really good thing. So I'm happy for him on that. I'm not really sure the details about the um partnership with Beats by Dre, but I'm really happy to see him get something like that going. I mean look man, I you know again you guys if you've heard my shows here the last few weeks you know that I'm in his corner, and I think he's very deserving. I, I again, I, I don't understand the the um, all of the negative talk about him when he's really only played a game and a half. I, I really don't. You know, game and a half. He he obviously he had mop up duties, but the game and a half, Arkansas game, Texas A&M game, is where I'm judging him. Where the game was in doubt in both of those games and Alabama won those two games so yeah a lot going on there um, we'll see how all that plays out man. that's all I can say uh, 
Georgia has has news where they lost their backup running back. Branson Robinson, he'll be out for the season. And then there was an uh, announcement there at LSU, man. Mason Smith, defensive tackle that uh, they lost last year to injury. He was out the entire season last season after the, like the first couple plays. I think it may have been the first series of that game against Florida State last season. He got injured and did not play the rest of the year. They've lost him um, some type of benefits that he gained or whatever. Um, obviously, illegally in the eyes of the NCAA. Man, I, I'm just man that this this stuff with the NCAA has just been really crazy. I thought we were done with that, but um, again, receiving some type of benefits illegally in the eyes of the NCAA so he is being suspended for a game and that game is going to be next Sunday against Florida State so that could be big news that could be a big loss for LSU going into that football game um, we'll talk obviously more about that game next episode here next week but big blow for them Mason Smith was you know you, you sit there and talk about Harold Perkins and everybody talks about him now but going into last season, Mason Smith was the guy that most people were talking were talking about on that LSU defense as a, you know one of the newcomers. So got to keep an eye on that situation there in Baton Rouge. Anyway, man, I'm gonna give you quickly my first power rankings of the year here in the SEC, <laughs> and uh, I'm just gonna go through it really quick. Go through it 14 to one, and obviously I've got to start off with Vanderbilt. Uh, you know, again, I think that this team, I would not doubt them beating someone like they did last year that they're not supposed to beat. But I just, I don't see the talent levels yet with really all the other teams there in the SEC. They're getting there, though, and I think Clark Lee is on to something. I think he can, um, I think they'll be competitive. But I think at the end of the day, this is a team that probably will only win three or four games. And so I have them as the 14th at 13. I'm going to go with Missouri. And this is a, this is a tough one, man, for me. Um, <clears throat> they have uh, 15 returning starters as well, which is really good. No question about that. But I'm going to go with them. Number 12, I'm going to go with this. I mean, really from, from, really from 13 to about 6. I think to a degree you can throw a lot of these teams up in the air and it may just sort of whatever order they come down in, whatever order they hit the floor in, <laughs> you might be totally correct. That's how close this is. But twelfth, I'm going to go with Arkansas. No, no, not Arkansas. No, 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 no. I'm going with Mississippi State. I'm just not. I'm not really sold on them yet. I think they could be really good. It's possible. Um, but I'm going to go with them for right now at 12. Uh, I'm going to go number 11. I'm going to go with the Arkansas Razorbacks. They have K.J. Jefferson coming back, but there's not a lot around him in my opinion. Uh, number 10, I'm going to go with the Auburn Tigers. Auburn, uh, new coach, uh, new quarterback. I still think there's a team that can win seven games, though. Maybe, possibly eight if they 
sit there and pull an upset somewhere. But I think they could win seven games and make a bowl game. So, you know, being 10th in this league is not necessarily means you're a bad football team. And you never know about all of them. But I'm going to predict them right now. And I, like right now, I would have them in the 10th slot at number nine. I'm going to go with the Florida Gators. I really probably should have flip-flopped these teams, actually, to be honest with you. But, uh, like I said, both of these, I think Florida's looking like another team that could go six and seven like they did last year, possibly a little bit worse than that. So I could see Florida flip-flopping with me where with where I have Mississippi State. It would not surprise me at all. Uh, Billy Napier, his third season there, I'm sorry, second season there, uh, he's going to have a little bit of grace period, I think, but it's starting to get really late on that, though, and uh, we'll see how things go. I think they at least want to see some improvement this season in that football team. They have 11 starters back. They start their season next week at Utah. Again, that's going to be an interesting football game next Thursday night at number 8. I have South Carolina Gamecocks, and again, they only have 10 starters returning, but I am a believer in this Beamer ball thing. I mean, I just <laughs> and they have Spencer Rattler coming back at quarterback. That's one of my factors in this whole thing. This is a team to me that they can win seven games, maybe even eight, like they did last year. Um, again, they don't have a lot of talent returning, but this team just does all of the little things, and, and sometimes you just do all of the little things. If they can, if they. If they can force turnovers like they did last year, if their special teams are as good as they were last season, that sometimes is enough to spend a couple games into their favor. We'll see how it goes. Um, you look at number seven. I'm going to have to go with the Ole Miss. No, no, no. I'm not going to go with Ole Miss just yet. I'm kind of doing this on the fly if you can't tell. <laughs> I'm kind of doing this on the fly, man. Um I'm gonna go with Ole Miss. Yeah, I, I, I think Ole Miss is a good. This is a good spot for them. I think the quarterback situation there, either way they go, is gonna be pretty good for them. Again, the question is gonna be defensively. Now they have Pete Golding as their defensive coordinator coming over from Alabama, so it's gonna be interesting to see where he can get that defense as he comes in. But uh, right now, I have them seventh. At six, I have the Texas A&M Aggies coming off of <laughs> five-win season last year. A lot is expected of them. I, I'm not really sure what to expect with this thing with Bobby Petrino and Jimbo Fisher. But right now, I have them sixth. I'm, I'm not going to believe it fully until I see it out on the field. At number five, I have the Kentucky Wildcats. The Kentucky Wildcats, to me, are the wild card in this in this. Uh, entire SEC, I think that they're going to be a team that's going to um, they could be right there until the end of the season, man. I, I think they're going to be a lot better than some people are thinking. Just, you know, a lot of people are kind of judging them what they looked like last year. This team's going to be a little bit different than that. Uh, at number four, I have the Tennessee Volunteers for obvious reasons. Uh, we'll talk again more about them as well, but Right now, I have Tennessee. It would not surprise me if they flip-flop with Kentucky or A&M. Um, the Joe Milton thing is going to be a little bit of a question. We'll talk about that a little bit next week. At number three right now, I have the Alabama Crimson Tide. 
yeah, it kind of hurts to say that, but I have to be real about this thing. I have Alabama number three. They're, you know, again, these are power rankings. This is not where I'm saying that the team was going to finish the season. This is where I think they are right now. And right now, Alabama is coming off of a loss to LSU, and LSU has most of those players coming back. And Alabama does not even have its quarterback coming back from the team that lost to that game. So I have to put Alabama behind them right there, in my opinion. I just think that's the right way to do it. Number two, I've got obviously LSU with Jaden Daniels and those guys that I just mentioned coming back. And of course, at number one, you can't have anyone else at number one but the Georgia Bulldogs. So, again, that's my power rankings for right now. Again, I think it's going to change a lot, especially in the middle. Like I said, 6 to 12, 6 to 13, you can throw a lot of those teams up in the air. <laughs> but the top five, I think, are pretty solid, except, again, Tennessee is the one that out of that group. I really feel good about Kentucky. I really do. I think they are a solid top five or six team in this in this league. I'm, Tennessee, I'm, I think that they are. And uh, right now, today, I have to put them in that spot. But we'll see about them going forward. We'll talk a little bit more about that next week. Anyway, man, I really appreciate you joining me here on this show today. This is my 50th episode, and I really appreciate all of that, man. I hope that you enjoyed the show. Hope that this won't, if it's the first time you've come in, I hope it's not your last. Anyway, man, my name is Kerry Wood. Call me C Wood, but and follow me at C Wood on sports on Twitter or X and IG. And uh, I definitely look forward to seeing you next week right here on Ball About the South. <laughs>